Okay, so we'll uh, we'll get started. We're up to Simon Dalit in the Evan Ha'ezer section of Rabbi Schwartz's Shivas and his uh, new uh, Sefer, Alipos Regish, published in uh, the latest edition of the Hadarom, which also doubled as a Sefer as he told him for Rabbi Schwartz. So in uh, Simon Dalit, it's a question that actually arises every so often. We just had this Shaila at the Besden of America, believe it or not, years ago. This is a Shayla Binyan Mamzeris, a question regarding Mamzeris. A woman receives a get and she's living with a new man and she was presumed to have been with that other man even before she received the get and approximately seven months later she has a child. So then the question is, was the child conceived after she received her get, in which case the child would be uh, kosher, the child would be legitimate, or was the child conceived uh, prior to when she received her get, in which case um, many postkin work with the assumption that if the first husband was out of the picture for a really long time, then it can be presumed if she was living already with another man, had a relationship with another man, ended up marrying that other man, after her get, it can be presumed that, that uh, the child came from that other man, uh, in which case uh, the other man was also Jewish, just like her first husband. The child would be a uh, the child would be a mamzer. So this is a question that Rabbi Shmuel said to deal with: uh, Is uh, there um, a uh, conclusion that the child in this case uh, would be uh, would be a mamzer? when the, the child was born around seven months afterwards. This was a uh, case where the woman was divorced. It says, in Tavshin Memches, figure around uh, 1988, uh, in the Bezdin, uh, the Bezdin was in the CRC. It says, Bezdin Shalanu, And um, they had already received a conservative get, but the conservative get was not one that would be uh, recognized. And uh, she thought that she was permitted to get married to another man after she had uh, received the Tudas Gerishin uh, from the the, um, uh, the conservative Besden. Now, it's an interesting thing in general uh, with respect to Rabbi Schwartz, and I had this experience uh, a number of times, that there were certain Rabbanim who would say, oh, if there was a conservative get, let's look at the conservative get, see if maybe it was written properly, maybe we'll investigate the Edim, maybe they were Shomer Shabbos, maybe we can find some way to be Makshi or the conservative get. Rabbi Schwartz virtually never had any interest in that exercise. He just assumed, as a matter of course, that if the Masada Gittin was a conservative rabbi, that the get was an invalid get. Uh, he didn't uh, really think that there were grounds, uh, as a general rule, to validate a conservative get. There was one particular conservative messiah who used to work for the JTS, his name was Boaz Kohn, and he was recognized by Rav Soloveitchik as a valid messiah. It was known that he always used a particular software who was a very the firm software who could be trusted. That software himself would uh, see to it that uh, the, the Aden uh, would be kosher Adim, and therefore the Boaz Kohn's Gitin were generally recognized. But if there wasn't uh, somebody who was uh, overseeing the process uh, from uh, the Orthodox uh, community, who was a respected Rav, who was serving as a Sofer, and uh, ensuring that everything was done Kedas to Kedin, 
Rabbi Schwartz uh, generally assumed that it wasn't done Kedasu Kedin. The Edim generally could not be uh, presumed to be uh, kosher Edim. There were often, at least even in the cases where uh, I was uh, shown a conservative get, there were often, uh, I would say the majority of the times that I looked at the get, mistakes in the writing of the names of the get. Uh, and um, Rabbi Schwartz uh, found that it was much easier to uh, permit a woman to remarry, not on the basis that she received a conservative get that arguably may have been kosher b'dievet, but more on the basis that the original marriage had been conservative. And uh, he was uh, more prepared to say that uh, the original marriage was no good because uh, the Adam were not uh, kesherim. It was assumed that uh, it wasn't done. Even a conservative rabbi would attempt to get the names right. That's the easiest part. Uh, well, no, because uh, the names have to be written a particular way. They have to, they have to be transliterated a particular way. And sometimes they're even, you know, sloppy in terms of uh, how the names are, are heard. That a certain name that uh, sounds like a different name and the wrong name is written in the gift. You'd be surprised, things that go on. I'm not here to um, disparage, you know, any uh, group per se, but uh, the, the reality is that uh, certainly um, the, the ideology of the conservative movement is not in consonance in all with Torah Judaism. And um, I think it's fair to say that um, the majority of the conservative rabbis on Machali Shabbos, but Moshe Feinstein uh, wrote, at least in his later years, when he wrote Shubas about conservative weddings and, conser- and conservative conversions and the like, he said the presumption is uh, that uh, the, the conservative rabbis and themselves are postulators, and even if they're Shoma Shabbos, uh, the mere fact that they subscribe to the conservative ideology is a reason to uh, view them as, uh, as puzzle as puzzle aiders. In any event, uh, so in this case, they had received a conservative uh, get, and uh, then they received a, an orthodox get. And um, the orthodox get was in the month of Av of Tavshin Memches, and uh, then in the month of uh, Adar Aleph, Tavshin Memtes, uh, that's when a, a, a daughter was born. So the space between Av, which is uh, the 11th uh, month of uh, the year, and um, the uh, and other, uh, so other Aleph is uh, a good um, uh, seven uh, seven months later. Uh, so uh, seven months uh, plus in this particular case, uh, because you go from uh, so it was approximately it was approximately seven months. I think it was seven months plus. But the question is uh, that. Uh, he says it was more than seven months from the time of the get but not nine months so we have to worry about Mamzeris uh, in, this, um, in this particular case so he pointed out uh, that uh, uh, as a general rule we assume that children are born after nine months but the Gemara itself does talk about the possibility of a child being uh, born uh, in the seven month period the seven month period uh, can uh, in this case he says you have Rov Chodesh Av the majority of uh, the month of Av and uh, almost the entirety of other uh, Rishon so it was almost close to eight months in this particular case and uh, he said that, that even though uh, the Gemara says uh, that those who give birth after seven months it's not even a full seven months per se here you could say Ishtihi Yosem Izayin Chodoshim Sometimes we say the child was meant to be born earlier, but lasted a little bit longer inside of the womb. Uh, it's certainly uh, not as uh, bad a, a case as what uh, uh, Schwartz refers to in a footnote. He has um, in the tshuva that uh, was in the materials that we transcribed and we typed up. 
So he has a little footnote that it sounds like, it looked like he affixed this footnote after he had already written the tshuva and already said the tshuva. He says, Ayenod b'shailos tshuva shailos dovid. He says, take a look in the shailos tshuva shailos dovid. That's a shailos tshuva sefer that was written by a 19th century posek with David Carlina, who is considered to be a very, very um, respected posek. Um, but in his case, uh, the, um, uh, the, 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 the the get was in Sivan. The child was born in Kislev. It was only a, a six-month case. A six-month case, he was much more skeptical for a child to be born after six months. Here you have a case where the child was uh, the, would have been in the womb for seven, but close to eight months. So there's more to talk about over here. Not only that, he says, but nobody can attest to, to the uh, fact that the woman was pregnant at the time uh, that uh, she received the get. Says Aisha. Now, if you look about seven lines after the second paragraph, Aisha nam supekes bechlali mihaisa meuberes v'shasa get bechodeshav. She's misupekes. She doesn't know if she was pregnant or not. It's not as if you have the woman telling us uh, that uh, she actually was pregnant, and we have to figure out whether we believe it or her or not to make the child into a mamzer. Remember that um, the sofer in the Bezdin of America, Rabbi Lichter used to uh, always uh, joke with me. I mean, you have to develop a good sense of humor if you're writing like, you know, thousands of Gittin every year. So uh, Rabbi Lichter said that uh, there was once a case of a, a woman who was pregnant and uh, there was a particular Rav who wasn't so familiar with all of the halachos of Mamzeris, and he was saying to Rabbi Lichter, look, the woman is pregnant, you have to do the get as quickly as possible so that the child won't be such a big Mamzer, you know. Um, <laughs> you know he says, but the, child, the woman's already pregnant, doesn't, it doesn't help at that point, whether you do the get before the child's born or after the child is born, once she's already pregnant, if there was another man other than her husband who's Jewish who impregnated her, the child is going to be a, a Mamzer. You consider so, that she could have been with her husband still so there are some poskim who will say, you know, that we have a principle, robilos that most of a woman's relations we assume are with her husband, but many poskim will say that's if the husband is living in the house. The husband, they've already received, the, they've already been divorced from each other. The husband lives a, a long distance away, so we don't have that presumption. I saw Rebezer Basri, who's a respected diet in Eretz Yisrael, so he has a, a, a series of svarim, called Dina Ishis. He also has a series of Svarim that are very good in having to do with monetary law called Dina Mominus, a four-volume set. People don't know, more recently he published a two-volume work which is called Dina Ishis. It's very, very good. And he writes in a footnote that maybe nowadays, even if the husband lives very far away, people jump on planes all the time and therefore, even if he's not in the vicinity, why don't you say that, okay, we'll assume that even though the woman and the man have been civilly divorced for a long time, maybe we should still say, from a halakhic perspective, the perspective, of so you have some posts who are willing to throw that into the mix, to take that into uh, into consideration. But other posts, I remember we once had a Mamzeh Shiloh that we sent out to Rav Notu Greenblatt, to Zatzal, in uh, Memphis, where it was clear that the husband wasn't in the picture at all, and he says, Hachush Machish. He said that uh, you can't make up uh, Svarvas out of thin air to say it may have been the husband when there's no relationship with the husband at all. I had a couple of cases where maybe there was still a friendly relationship between the ex-wife and the ex-husband and they would come for visitation of a child where, you know, you could make uh, such a potential argument. But that wasn't the argument in this case. She had nothing to do with the husband. So uh, Schwartz says, number one, there is a messias a possibility that a child could be born after uh, seven months, certainly, you know, this is a child, um, the, the, the woman uh, didn't give birth until close to eight months after she received her get. And he says, this is about ten lines down, he 
he says that the Rav Moshe writes that if you had a, a reform wedding, you certainly don't have to worry that the, the presumption is that if the original marriage was a reform or wedding, that there were no Edim uh, Ksherim. And he says, okay, it wasn't reform. It was a conservative rabbi, but he says, But it was known that the rabbi in question was not a Shomim Mitzvos, and also all of the people who were invited to uh, the wedding were Psuleyedus, um, without any exception at all, because we checked the guest list. And we, so we went through the, check, the checklist. This is something Rabbi Schwartz taught me to do. I would sit down with people in these types of situations, whether it was a Mamzerus question, whether it was an Aguna question, and husband refusing to give a get, or we allowed the woman to remarry. And we would go to the guest list. We would see if they had a copy of the guest list. We would have them try to reconstruct everybody who was invited to the wedding. We would look at the wedding video sometimes and ask about the identity. We stop the film and ask about the identity of everybody in the wedding video and all the wedding pictures, ask about their identity. And we would go through every single person. So Rabbi Schwartz really did that. So he said, okay, and we saw that there were no kosher edim. Um, I don't know why he only quoted a tshuva from Rav Moshe about a reform uh, wedding, when the truth is that Rav Moshe also has uh, uh, plenty of tshuvas that he published regarding how conservative uh, weddings also can't be relied upon. But either way, the svarah is essentially the similar svarah. If you take a look for your you know, reading benefit, just as an added bonus, if you actually picked up a copy of the Hadzarom, which is available at various bookstores near you. Um, there is a chuba in the Hadzarom by Rav Yitzchak Yosef that he contributed for this volume, which he explains all of the reasons why, as a general rule, you can assume that a conservative wedding is not kosher according to halacha, and that therefore there would be a room to be makel. In his case, he was dealing with the Mamzeris case as well, and he held that there was room to be makel, um, certainly to uh, assume that the children would not be uh, Mamzeris. Uh, when the, should they had been uh, born from a subsequent uh, marriage or relationship. Why yes. does it matter if you have to look at all the people to see if any of them are kosher agent? If it's not a kosher agent anyway. Well, again, let's say that by some chance uh, the man had a ring that he owned and he gave the ring to the woman and he said, So even if the rabbi was reformed, if there were two kosher in there, so it really could have been a kosher wedding under those circumstances. The audience, what? I thought the would be collective and therefore... It's not necessary. There are opinions that say, that, and we quoted that last time, that if you're not miyachid the edim, so then everybody all gets a, 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 included together. But not everyone says that way. Some say that the assumption is that you have in mind that whoever's going to be the kosher edim, they should count. Sam Sofa has a tshuva in which he says like that. But Yitzchak Yosef uh, had, uh, was very much opposed to that shuva of the Qasam Sofer because it kind of uh, uh, put uh, a damper on uh, some of these, uh, you know, easy leniency, shall we say, in these cases. So I had a Mamzerius case, which is also in this volume, which I wrote about in this volume, um, in which um, I quoted the Qasam Sofer, but I pointed out that you really didn't have any kosher witnesses uh, at uh, the wedding that I was discussing. Um, and therefore, uh, that was the reason, maybe at best, one kosher witness, but the Ramah writes that if you only have one kosher witness, so certainly Bishas Chatkak, you could say it's not good enough, because if you don't have two kosher witnesses, so it's not a kosher, it's not a kosher wedding. And I explained that uh, you don't have to worry about the Qasam Sofer, because you don't have any kosher edim, and the Qasam Sofer also says that if the wedding's not performed by an Orthodox rabbi, um, so then uh, you don't have to worry if there were people in the audience, because uh, they're not, uh, there's no presumption um, that that uh, the Maise Kiddushin was a valid Maise Kiddushin anyway, um, in terms of counting people who weren't standing directly underneath the Chuppah. 
Um, uh, so, uh, so I quoted all of that from the Ksam Sof, and I asked Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef to give me a haskama for my for, for my tshuva. So he took a while, but eventually he wrote me a haskama. But not just a haskama. I agree. He wrote like a five-page tshuva of his own, um, in which he went over a lot of the points that I had written, and you know some additional points uh, as well. Basically, you know, agreeing to, to to everything I wrote. But the one thing that irked him in the tshuva that I wrote is that I gave any credence to the Ksav Sofer altogether. He said, my father wrote a tshuva which show, showed that you don't have to worry about the Ksav Sofer. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just to share real quickly, I had a wedding I, I officiated at and the girl was married before and Rabbi Schwartz went through the video and the guest list and found there was one Shomer Shabbos person there. He wrote her a patur because the guy disappeared and she couldn't even get a get from him and allowed me to do the wedding. Mm-hmm. So it, I mean, he went through the, he did go yes, through right. that whole video for so, a video on the guest list. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So we have Mamish, you know, Edis, you know, um, in, um, in person, uh, 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 Lamaisa, how this, uh, how, how this would take place, 100%. So, so that's then, that's a good point. The kid yes, would have number two. He's not, don't, don't we even take into account the baby looks like, medically, biologically, looks like an eight, seven month instead of a nine month? You know, it's a doctor, the OBGYN. Uh, because you have children who sometimes are born after nine months who are very small and children who are born a little earlier who are bigger. We don't look into all of those things. We don't assume that that's significant. The reason we don't assume it's significant is because Allah is codified, you know, by the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch, don't tell us to look at those things. So therefore, if halakhically it has no significance, the Mamzeris is all a creature of the halakha. The Torah gives us a halakha, therefore we only look at those things that the Torah tells us we're supposed so, so to look at. You can't say, say the DNA test or some other... No, so Rav has a tshuva in which he says you're not supposed to dig so deep. You know, no. if you're ready, according to halakhic principles, you know that the child is not considered to be a mom, so you don't dig deeper. So based on a Mashash and Masechus Baba Basra essentially makes that, that makes that point. What? What if it would be a Rabbi Yashiv would be noted that the child would be a Mamzer? Would uh, DNA help get rid of it? DNA, could you do a test and then say, there's no, 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 um, uh, but uh, so for, for sure it could get you out of trouble but we're worried about getting you uh, into the trouble in the, in the first place uh, like we use DNA for example to be Matzah Raguna so Schwartz wrote a very lengthy shuv it's not in this collection because it was published in a previous issue of Hadarom at the Tabishas Maisa of the 9-11 Agunos. So in the case of the 9-11 Agunos, there were many identifications of missing husbands that needed to be made based on DNA identification of body parts because you didn't have the entire bodies uh, intact because they were pulverized by uh, the collapse of the twin uh, tower buildings. Um, so in that case, uh, Rav Schwartz uh, wrote an explanation as to why DNA is considered to be a simon muvok. It can't be a simon muvok for identifying, for a simon muvok, for uh, uh, identifying uh, a person to determine that they are who they're supposed to be. But when the question was submitted to Shmuel Vosner as to whether your Kobea Mamzeir is based on DNA, he didn't feel that it was a 100% ironclad as Simon Mufak for those purposes, because for Mamzeir, for Basha Weiss, you really need Shnei Edim. You need two Edim to be Kobea, Sern Mitzias, in order to make somebody into a Mamzeir. Rabbi Yashir presumably was not so convinced about that. He felt that 
since DNA was such an ironclad simon mubak to identify a, a husband, a missing husband, so that the wife could uh, be married because he could then be identified as, uh, as having died, so it could po- potentially uh, be uh, something to worry about uh, in the case of Mamzeris as well. So we felt that it wasn't something that should be investigated. I received a call once from a woman who's, we're getting a little bit off topic, but, you know, it's all important. I received a call once from a woman who had um, always assumed that her real uh, father was not uh, the man that her mother was married to at the time she was born, but uh, the man that uh, her uh, mother uh, was having an affair with at the time that she was born. And um, that was always uh, the assumption within the family. But since the mother was still in the same house as her husband when she was born, so when it came time for her to get married, they received a dispensation from Rabbi Feinstein um, saying that we have a principle, that we generally assume that the relationship that a woman has, for the most part, is with the husband that she's living with, and therefore even if she was had a paramour, nonetheless uh, the child who would be born uh, would be presumed to belong to her husband and therefore you can assume that, that there's no mamzeri situation and she got married on that basis and she had children on that basis and then she called me up um, uh, about something else uh, some other issue um, uh, but in the course of the conversation she just mentioned in passing oh by the way this has always weighed on my mind that, that I never had a kind of uh, uh, closure uh, with respect to this issue, now they have all these wonderful DNA tests which are available, and I just want to have closure. I assume, since I'm already married and everything's already done, it's not a problem you know, for me to go and get this DNA test. So I just wanted to confirm, since I'm on the phone with you anyway. And I said, don't you dare think about getting such a DNA test. Now, this is before I saw the tshuva of El Yashiv. El Yashiv's tshuva basically says exactly the same thing. It was a very, very similar scenario. He says exactly, uh, exactly the same thing. You don't, uh, you don't look, you don't look to, to create problems. What if you have other indications? If the child grows up and the child looks exactly like the paramour, you know, so you say, oh, this is very suspicious. Here, Rabbi Shuai says, you have the Medrash in Parshish Naso that says that a Kodesh Baruch who does that, a Kodesh Baruch who constructs the child to look exactly like the paramour in order to reveal the sin of the mother, but not because the child really belongs to the other guy. Really, the child was from the father, was supposed from the husband, and not from the other fellow, but a Kodesh Baruch who made sure that the child would have the features of the other fellow in order to reveal the sin of the mother. He says that also is not a proof of Ramazeri, so he brings that, brings that argument. So then Rav Schwartz points out something else. After this uh, discussion, where basically you have the conservative wedding to rely upon, even without uh, the assumption that the child was only conceived after the Gerishim, points out there is a chuba by Ramosha Feinstein, which deals almost exactly with this case. And that's in Ebenezer, Chelet Dalsim, Yudzayan, it's in your materials on the bottom of page 5, if the materials line up with what I have in front of me, where uh, Rav Moshe also deals with a case where the child that was born after the Gerishin was born almost at exactly the same date and time. Almost exactly the same day. He says, B'dara Isha, Shinis Garshem Ibaila Ches Tishrei Tav Shin Lame This is 1961 or so that the, uh, that the, the divorce uh, took place, Ches Tishrei. And then the daughter uh, was born to, uh, the, um, to this woman, um, uh, uh, Gimel Sivan. Gimel Sivan is also almost close to eight months. It's almost exactly the same number of days. 
that is about Schwartz's chuba, almost exactly the same number of days. If you add up all the days, Schwartz doesn't give you the dates, but he says that it's very, very close to eight months. Medina, uh, he says that, and she, and he talks about this, a convoluted case. He says before she had received the gap, she actually got married to the fellow um, that uh, she uh, that she was living with after the get um, before she even received the get in the first place. So uh, here they're, they're married together. And, um, and they're married together civilly. They're married together civilly. Obviously, no rabbi is going to marry them before she had received the oh, gift from her first uh, from her first husband. And she says um, uh, that, however, despite the fact that they were married, says they, they weren't. I'm sorry, they weren't living together. They only got married, and so therefore she's saying that it can't be. Uh, that I was pregnant at all. So this case is a little bit better because in Schwartz's case, I think it's clear they were living together. But in this case, uh, they weren't living together. They just had a civil marriage. Why in the world would anybody get a civil marriage the before they're summer. going to uh, get uh, the Cooper of Kiddushin? You could say taxes. You could say, I had a case when I was... Uh, I went to law school at Yale. I went to law school at Yale and they had, I think this was maybe a little bit after I left, they had the famous lawsuit at Yale called the Yale Five. Yale, I don't know if anybody remembers the Yale Five. Yale Five were five uh, students, I think they were female students, who wanted to uh, go against the, the university policy of having to stay in uh, the university dormitory during their freshman year because they said that these were all from girls and they said that this is such a promiscuous environment that it's antithetical to our beliefs. So Yale said, so why'd you come to Yale? And they said, oh, but we, 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 we want a top-notch education, but we don't feel that we should have to be in the cesspool of uh, the university dormitory environment. We want to be able to have off-campus um, off campus housing. Um, so one of the girls, it turned out, was engaged, and she was engaged to get married, like, you know, at the end of the school year. Uh, but what she did was, she, since there was an exception, for marriage students, that they were allowed to live off campus. So what she did was, she got herself civilly married to the Jew, to, to the to the fellow that she was engaged to, and uh, that way she was allowed to have a off uh, off campus housing. Uh, so the there floor. can be legitimate reasons why a person will go for a civil floor. marriage beforehand. I don't encourage it. I tell people don't go for your civil marriage license until you're ready to become a locally married because it creates complications if you break the engagement. It creates complications. What so happened to the other four? It's, it's better to wait. What? The other four. What happened? The other four said they filed their lawsuit. I think, I don't remember if they won the lawsuit or not. Maybe, I think maybe they did win the lawsuit. I mean, I remember that it was just a, maybe it was settled. It was a whole call of course celeb that uh, they uh, that, that I remember at the time. There were people who were trying to do um, uh, backroom diplomatic, uh, you know, uh, the back, backroom diplomacy to try to broker a deal with Yale. But I think that, that there was a, a desire on the part of some to bedafka file a lawsuit in order to flag the issue so that the world should know about this issue um, uh, so that uh, there could be a, a stir about how scandalous it was that students were being thrust into this type of an environment. It's an interesting, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting partial altogether. So in Rav Schwartz, so in Rabbi, uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein's case, so he says a very interesting thing. He says, we don't take a woman away from her cheskas kashus. And the woman insists that she did not live together with this other uh, fellow. Um, he says, there's no chance in the world that the first husband was uh, the uh, person uh, who was the father of this child. So Moshe didn't go for those svaros, where you'd say, when the husband's been out of the picture for years. He didn't go for those svaros. You do five postings nowadays, so we'll throw that into the mix. He didn't go for those svaros. So he says uh, that, um, uh, therefore, uh, the question is, do we say, Rob Nashim, the test, um, uh, Yaldun, that uh, most women give birth after nine months, so therefore we have a problem here? Or do we say, 
since we have Amina Matsui, we do have at least uh, some discernible number of women who will give birth after seven months. Uh, so uh, therefore, um, maybe the fact that she says for sure that she didn't have uh, that she didn't have relations with this man um, until afterwards is something we should believe. But she did even better than that. She bought a Tudas Rofe. Uh, she bought a, this, a certificate um, from a doctor that was curiously issued four days after she received her get. Um, in which the doctor said, "Oh, in my, my opinion, she was not uh, she was she she was not pregnant at that point in time." Um, so therefore, somehow she conveniently had a doctor's note for four days after the get, saying that she was not yet pregnant. So he had all of these things added up. So says uh, Rav Moshe that, that she he thinks that she still has a cheskas kashrus. I happen she have a cheskas kashrus. They were civilly married before him. Ah, people sometimes get civilly married before him because uh, they have good reasons. I. After the get, you know, she came to a Besden and she wanted the Besden to marry them off. And the Besden said, we don't want to marry you off because you th- we think you had an affair with this fellow when you were still uh, halakhically married to your first husband. And we have a principle, Kishem Shasura Labao Kenasura Laboel. The Torah uh, uh, indicates that through the repeat of the word three times in the, the Parsha of Sota that a woman who has an affair with another man while she's married to her husband, she's not allowed to marry that other man after she receives a get from her husband. So they didn't want to perform the marriage altogether. And at that point in time, they actually decided that they're going to start living together as, um, as husband uh, and wife. Um, so, says, uh, um, uh, so he says, and they live together as husband and wife uh, without um, uh, having uh, a Rav uh, marry them. And it was even within three months of when she received the get, which you're not supposed to do. So Rav Moshe says, none of this moons her cheskas kashrus. How can none of this moon her cheskas kashrus? Because she has a cheskas kashrus that she didn't commit, that she wasn't an adulterer. Maybe she did other things wrong. Maybe she lived out of halakhic wedlock, you know, after she received her get. But that doesn't mean that uh, she lost her cheskas kashrus, that, she's some, uh, that, that she would be somebody who wouldn't have uh, committed adultery. And therefore, she says uh, that uh, there's no suffix to assume that she has nus with another man before she received uh, her get. And not only that, he says it's a miyuna matzoi uh, that uh, a child could be born uh, after a pregnancy of seven and a half months. That's not so unusual. We go in the other direction. Halakhically, we say the husband was uh, somehow uh, in Siberia and then uh, the last time the woman was with her husband was 11 months earlier, and then she has a child, so we say that we assume that that child was just a nine-month baby that waited for a couple of extra months, and uh, still uh, will we'll attribute it to, to, the, first, to uh, the, the husband that she's married to. So therefore he says that, that we have a lot of heterim, a lot of sabaros, a lot of arguments to be maksher this, uh, this blood, and certainly when she says, for sure, that she did not um, have relations with this man beforehand and that she was not pregnant at the time. And even if she wouldn't have said that, that for sure, um, that we could rely upon this, uh, this, this Kazaka. And then he throws in, for good measure, a svara that Vavadi Yosef used a lot from the Piske Tshuva, which is that we can, always, we can also utilize the argument of Sveik Sveiko to permit the child and say that the child is not a mamzer. So he says, I have a Sveik Sveiko over here. I have a suffix, number one, that maybe she didn't commit adultery and that the child really was only uh, conceived after she received her get. And number two, we have a suffix that if, in fact, the, the, she had cheated on her husband with this Jewish man, who says that she didn't cheat on her husband with non-Jewish men? 
And if she would have had a child with a non-Jewish man, the halacha is the child's not a mamzer. The child's only a mamzer from a Jewish man, not from a non-Jewish man. So therefore he says we have a spake spaker, so we'll throw in the spake spaker as well, we could uh, into the mix. So Rav Moshe was makel. So said uh, Rav Schwartz, I could be makel in this case as well. Rav Schwartz had a, a factor that Rav, that Rav Moshe didn't have that actually is even more compelling than all the other arguments, which is that uh, she would, that likely wasn't married altogether halakhically in the first place because of the fact that it was a conservative wedding and everybody who was there was present at the wedding was uh, was postulated. Okay. Uh, so now... Yes. The child doesn't have to make arguments. See, the good thing about uh, when you pass in these Shilohs is that you don't need the children to make any arguments. You can make all the arguments on your own. If you're a posik, so you know what arguments, what svaros uh, to, uh, to bring to bear. Some of the svaros are not so nice as far as the, the people you know, involved are, are concerned, but the mice are what they care about the most is the end result. You know, what's the tshuva that you're going to give them? So you give them, you know, the right tshuva. Halakhically, you can come to the conclusion the child's not a mamzer. Uh, so you try to come to that, so uh, you try to come to that conclusion. So we can use opposing legal arguments. Like, I never killed the person, and uh, it happened because of self-defense. First, Rav Moshe is saying she's a cheskas kashrus. She's a, a, a virtuous woman, number one, and number two, maybe she had relations not only with this person, she may have had relations with Goyim. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's an argument says, says he, no, it's, it's more like, it's arguing the alternative a little bit, but, you know, it's just saying that uh, this argument is a good enough argument that, that we can believe her that she didn't have relations before, and then this child was only conceived after the get, but even if you don't accept that, if for whatever reason you want to reject that and assume that she had relations beforehand, or she had relations before, and mean, then I can make a different argument that who says that, uh, you know, it wasn't with a, with, with, with a non-Jew. And uh, the only reason you reject uh, my first argument is because you have a suffix about it, so that I have a fake faker. So it's not that he's, uh, that we're, it's a contradictory argument. Saying if the first argument is only good enough to be a suffix, so then we could throw in, you know, another suffix as well. In other words, the suffix that even if this is incorrect, so, you know, then the other version of the story that she had relations beforehand doesn't necessarily mean that this child came from that man. You say do a DNA test, you don't have to do a DNA test. Okay. Um, now, the Simon Hay, Sheila Binyam Amzeris and Muberes Chavero, this is a very interesting thing, uh, case as well. A similar sort of Mamzeris case, a lot of different parties. So you have Allah Beis, Gimel Dalad, you know, different, uh, different parties who are involved. Um, but what happened was that the, the, the mother of this woman, the mother of this woman uh, that uh, we're being done upon in terms of uh, her, uh, her child, um, so uh, this woman, uh, uh, when she left um, Austria in the year 1935, uh, she was married to a particular man. She was married to a particular man, but she didn't leave Austria together with um, with that man. Uh, and uh, she um, and she eventually um, received a uh, received a get in the Bezdin of Yerushalayim in Zion Ir Tafresha Tzadi Yiches. So I don't know, it sounds like maybe the man uh, sent to get, you know, uh, through the mail, whatever, you know, meaning that it was performed in one Besden, sent to a shliach. She received a get in uh, May 8, 1938. I looked up uh, the, the dates over here. It was May 8, 1938. She received a get. That's Zion Ear. Ches Yudir, Yud Ches which is 11 days later, she married another man. Um, and uh, this um, And this woman now, 
who is uh, the daughter of that uh, original woman, was born in 1938, two months after the Gerashim. She was born two months after the Gerashim, and you got to figure about less than two months after this marriage took place. So one thing that we know is that even though a child can sometimes be born after seven months, a little close to eight months, something like that, question the Shailah Stavi whether you could be Mako in six months, but two months, no. Two months, that doesn't happen. That hasn't happened yet. So clearly, the, the woman was already pregnant, and she was very pregnant. She was seven months pregnant. You would notice. You would notice. She was seven months pregnant at the time that she received the, that she received the get. So now the question is, really respect, with respect to this woman, this woman was born in 1938. I guess the Sechuva was written in 1992, right? Tavshin uh, Nunbeis, uh, 92, maybe late 91. Um, and now the um, so the, the woman is um, I don't know, fifty or so. There's a question as to whether she's a um, whether there's a whether the a shaila of mamzeris a mamzeris. So Rav Schwartz says as follows. He says that um, I think now this woman um, apparently wasn't looking to get married. She had already gotten married and she had children. So now there's a question of mamzeris not only with respect to her. It's a question of mamzeris with respect to her children. My guess is she might have had grandchildren too, because of Schwartz starts his second paragraph here saying, Not only her Yoladev, but Yotze Chalatzev, all of the generations that came out of her, you don't have to worry about Mamzeris. Then he has a very interesting argument as to why this is. He says that if in fact she, the uh, Besden had determined that her marriage to the first husband, even though she got a get from the first husband, but if they had determined that, that it was a real halachic marriage, they never would have allowed her to marry the second fellow um, that uh, she, uh, who was the one who got her pregnant, because they would have said Kashem Shasu Labal Kenasu Laboel. They're not that this is uh, this is the Rabbanut in Israel that performed the wedding. This this took place in the the. He says the Bezdin in Yerushalayim performed the, the wedding in 1938. It's true it didn't have a Medina, but you did have a Rabbanut. You had a Rabbanut. The Rabbanuto did the wedding. There's no way that they would have uh, that they would have allowed it. And they knew, he says, they knew that the child must have come from the second man and not from the first man. And he has a very creative argument as to why we know that. Because if the child would have come from the first fellow, then she would have been a Milberis Chavero. She would have been a woman who's pregnant with another man's child. And then they also wouldn't have allowed her to get married because you're not allowed to a woman who's a Milberis Chaveo, she's pregnant with another man's child, is not allowed to get married to a different man. And so Milberis out there are exceptions to that, or a woman who's Mufkeris, or whatever, but okay. It's assuming that they wouldn't have made uh, exceptions. That we'd have, we would have followed the, uh, the general rule, Milberis Chaveo is even more Chomer um, than Menekes Chaveo, that they certainly would not have performed the wedding with respect to somebody who was a Milberis Chaveo um, under those circumstances. So they knew that uh, she, she was pregnant with uh, the uh, child of uh, the man who uh, they married her off to 11 days after the get, and they were perfectly willing to perform the marriage that shows that they knew that, that this was not going, this was, this was not a problem of Kashem Shasu Labab, And he relies, interestingly, and I'll tell you uh, why in particular I find this interesting, um, on a tshuva of the Hechel Yitzchak, of uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac um, Alevi Herzog, who was the chief rabbi of Israel. But I'll make another point. He relies upon this tshuva of the Hechel Yitzchak, maybe in part because he realized that at the time that this woman got married in Yerushalayim, Rabbi Herzog was serving 
as the chief rabbi of Israel. Because he started serving as the chief rabbi of Israel in 1936. I think we had been earlier in Ireland or something. He come from Ireland to become chief rabbi of Israel in 1936. So when this whole Maisa occurred, he was the head honcho to make these types of determinations. And he has a chuva almost directly on point. If you take a look in page 6 of the materials, Nehekel Yitzchak, he talks about free love. Free love? I, I, I'm not making up the term. And so it comes from Nehekel Yitzchak. So man and woman, they're living together without any kind of a Narichas skidushin. There's no kind. They didn't even get civilly married. He says, Masha Amragil, I don't know when he's writing this. This is Nehekel Yitzchak. I mean, this is, you know, so it was back in the 1930s or so. Masha Amragil Likwa B'Shem Ava Chavshis. Now, I don't know. He wasn't living in the 60s, but I guess, you know, this is a... What was it? The, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the, roaring, the, the roaring 20s, the roaring 30s. I don't know. So he says this is a, a free love, a free love. Um, now they got to, they, they, they separated from each other so much for the free love. And now the woman wants to get married to somebody else. Uh, somebody else who, who she had a relationship with while she was still together with the first man because that's part of free love. It's free for him, it's free for, it's, uh, for another man, it's free for everybody. So therefore she was with another a man at the same time and uh, the Besden said since you were living together with this man in the free love uh, situation for so long, we think it's good for you to get a get. So they got a get. So now the question is, is she allowed to marry the second fellow? Are we going to apply the principle of Shem Shasul Lebalkin and Sulebo? So if Herzog dealt with these questions, but Schwartz was very, very familiar with all the Shilas and Shubas literature. This is, you know, before the days of Barilan Sidi Rab, you know, he just, he, he just knew it all. If you looked in his house, they were clearing out his house over the last number of months and, you know, making his uh, sparum available for people who wanted to, you know, take advantage. Um, he had uh, tons and tons of uh, Shilas and Shubas sparum. And every single one was worn out completely. Every single one, you know, just the the, the, the papers were, you know, completely ragged uh, because he, he he went through every single one. Um, and so he says um, that uh, he doesn't think that in this type of situation you really needed to get all together. He says, These are people who had the ability to get married through a Jewish marriage, but they chose to use Chayim to, to, to live, to live lives of looseness and um, uh, and, and promiscuity. So, you can't say that there's a chazaka, that they knew that they weren't unlawfully married, so therefore they had in mind that uh, when they were having intimate relations, that uh, they were go- that the bia itself uh, would count at any point in time as a bia's kiddushin. They had no interest in a kiddushin kedas, uh, kedas Moshe Yisrael. Um, and then he goes on to say, and as far as the get is concerned, so maybe there's room to be machmir because it's an iseracious ish of adultery. You know, if a woman should get to be married without a get when she needs one. But as far as the iser or kashem shasur labal kinasur labal, so that's only an iser lav. We can be um, we can be more more makel iser lav essay. We can be more makel with respect to, to that to, to that type of, to that iser. Um, so, but then he says, I have a problem. The problem is on the top of page seven. Everything I've said is against the shulchan Rav Herzog, you know, he, he knew Chuvas too. He also knew Shulchan Aruch. So you got to know Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says otherwise. Shulchan Aruch and Simon Membav and Eben Eben Ezer says that there is a, a, a rumor, a call that that goes out that a woman was Mekudeshis to a certain man, even if the even if the rumor is not true. So he says that, and now she had Kiddushin with another man. So if it turns out we're not able to substantiate the rumor, but we still, because there was a rumor, 
we required her to get a get from the first husband. And if uh, she was already living with uh, the second fellow, so it wasn't just a Maise Kiddushim, but she was living with the second fellow, so then we say that uh, she, she committed an, an Isser's Nus of living with the second fellow, um, despite the fact that the first get is only the Chumma, and as a result, even though the first get is only the Chumma Biyama, we're still going to prohibit her from remaining with the second fellow. So he says, oh, so I'm in trouble. Vim came benito and shalafeneno kim and shishrihu aget, harei v'chesko shaisa ishishish, v'yesh kanadin shel kishem shasuva l'ba'a, kakasuva l'ba'a. So we have that problem. Presumably you'd have the problem in Rabbi Schwartz's case as well. Once they require to get, so how could they allow her to get married to the second fellow? So he says, no, but I don't think you need to worry about it. But the reason he gives doesn't help us so much. The reason Rav Herzog gave is that maybe people would say like this, um, that because the, uh, the Rabbanut allowed them to, because the Rabbanim allowed them to get married, uh, so then the uh, conclusion that people will draw is that uh, the couple themselves had assumed that they weren't really halakhically married, and uh, therefore, even though the Rabbanim came to the conclusion that they really were halakhically married, nonetheless, uh, since it was only a shogeg biyama uh, that uh, they were living with each other because they thought that it was perfectly permissible since they thought that she wasn't really married to the first man, so whenever the act of iznus, the act of adultery, is committed by shogeg, so then we're not going to apply the principle of Gashem and we'll allow the woman to get married to the man in that circumstance. But that doesn't help Help if she's pregnant. That svarah doesn't help. If in fact the real conclusion was that she was halakhically married, it's not going to help you. But the answer is that it's not really true. Um, so that's why he says at the very end, his very last line, the main reason to be matir is not based on that svarah, but rather because, unlike the case in Simon Bob, Mem Bob in Eben Ezer, where there was at least a strong rumor that would provoke us to be concerned enough to require a get to be given, here there wasn't even a rumor. There was a nothing. It was a garnished. It was a garnished. And he says, and there's no, nothing to worry about. And uh, therefore, it's uh, less uh, than uh, the case of the rumor that's in Ebenezer. So you'd have to say, according to Rav Schwartz, uh, that it would be uh, a similar conclusion in his case, that uh, since we don't really have uh, further details, our assumption would be, particularly since it was not registered in the official records of the Rabbanut, that this child should be viewed as a mamzer, or this child should be viewed as me'uka miliskatein, because they actually had lists of children of people who should not be allowed to get married without further investigation. And this child was not listed, or this woman was not listed on any such, um, on any such docket, on any such uh, Rishima. So uh, maybe Rav Schwartz took that into account to assume that this fell within the parameters of or the type of case Rav Herzog was speaking about, where the get was only the Rabka de Milsa Biyama, it was very clear that whatever marriage she had in Austria was just not a marriage at all. Kedas Moshe Yisrael, they only did the get as a Chumra Biyama, and that's why she was allowed to marry the second bell, and that's why you don't have to worry about, about Mamzeris. Yes? It wouldn't be much different, I would guess, and you'll tell me, uh, uh, between a couple who were married in the courts and came to forget because one of them was going to get married again and felt they needed to get, or someone who was married by a reform rabbi and did the same thing. Exactly. It was certainly nowadays, we do get in the Chumrah all the time for mm-hmm. people, even when it's pretty clear that halakhically they probably were not considered uh, to, be, uh, to be married. 
which is why sometimes there'll be a get, and then we'll be makel to say that the, the woman can marry a Kohen afterwards, even though normally we say if there's a reach a get, a get that was given even though it wasn't needed, a woman doesn't can't marry a Kohen, but we say it's not even a reach a get, when the get is just given as like a, a far out stringency, so that uh, people shouldn't cast any aspersions that have any doubts about the woman having an Ishish marital status, so there are a lot of uh, posts given, including Ravah and Soloveitchik, who uh, were makel to allow a woman in that situation if she didn't have relations with anyone other than a Jew and wasn't really allocally married to the Jew that she got a get from uh, to marry a, even a Kohen afterwards because we wouldn't view her as a Grusha, even um, even the Chumrah. So I think that's really uh, maybe the also the unspoken part of this Jubis that we have a principle when it comes to Mamzeris of Mishpacha Shenitma Anitma. That if you have a family where already maybe there was a subbake that arose a long time ago, but now the family has gone through several generations and nobody has really considered a possibility or a problem of mamzeris, and now when you look at the situation in front of you, you still can't conclude that there was a definite problem of mamzeris. So then the Gemara does have this principle that's codified in Shulchan Aruch in Simon um, Base of uh, Sif uh, Hey by the Ramah uh, that uh, once already that uh, taint or potential taint of a mamzeris has become absorbed into a family, generations of a family, uh, so then we don't worry about it anymore. We just assume that the family is cautious. So I think that that's maybe kind of like the undercurrent of this uh, tshuva as well, because what Schwartz says, we can't really investigate. We don't know all the protim of that original marriage. We just have to assume, based on the circumstances, we have to assume the best, and the halacha really allows us to assume the best under these circumstances. One more mamzeir shaila in the connection, uh, in the collection, that's a simon, um, a simon bub, and uh, this has to do with uh, uh, an ongoing issue as well. A person loses their paperwork. I just had this uh, situation um, uh, this past week, a Rav called me up about this, a, a family where there were two daughters that needed to go through a conversion because they were adopted, whatever the case may be, and they have the conversion papers for one daughter, but they don't have the conversion papers for the other daughter. And uh, what do they do if they don't have the conversion? So presumably what you do is you go to the Dayanim who perform the conversion, say you remember the conversion and can you p- produce a, a new um, conversion certificate? Um, but in this uh, case, uh, the uh, of the three Dayanim, who purportedly performed the conversion, only one of them remembered the conversion. And the one who remembered the conversion didn't even remember all the details of the conversion so perfectly. So the question was, so what do you do in this particular case? So this isn't a situation where you'd have to worry about mistakes. Normally they would. But the circumstances of this particular conversion were such, it was performed in some sort of a location which wasn't the normal location, Maybe they had in mind, we'll get back to the office, we'll write up a certificate afterwards, maybe they never got around to it, uh, whatever it is. So, so in this case, it could be that they'll they have to do another gear, uh, but it's not earth-shattering because uh, everybody is firm and it's not, uh, nobody's married yet and um, they, the stakes are, are not, uh, are not so, so high in that particular case. But here, you have a, a situation where the stakes are very high because it, uh, it's, it's a mamzeris question. A woman is, uh, was married, and then she got she got remarried to a, to to a, to a second husband, and now has the, a child from that um, from that marriage. Um, her original husband himself already got remarried, and uh, now the uh, the question is uh, that uh, the uh, uh, what happens uh, to this child who was born from the second marriage of the uh, of the mother when there's no record there's no record uh, that uh, she had received a get. Now, presumably, you could also say, let's rely on the fact that another rabbi was willing to marry her to her second husband. So, it doesn't say over here, but uh, the uh, assumption is 
that uh, the uh, that the second uh, that the rabbi who performed the second marriage was not a, a uh, uh, an esteemed or respected orthodox rabbi is probably a conservative or reformed rabbi and therefore there's no chazaka that they did their research to see to it that there was a kosher get. Because as we're going to see, her first marriage, which we'll assume was not so different from her second marriage, uh, was performed by a conservative rabbi. So therefore it's a question, but that might end up obviously being a tikkun in this situation as you can already anticipate. So he says that she has, he has no raya whatsoever. Um, but the first husband says, but I wouldn't have gotten married to a second wife myself if I hadn't, um, uh, if I hadn't given her a get. Uh, but, but it's just that uh, so many years have passed that but even though both of them say that uh, there must have been a get, uh, there's no raya that they were uh, married. Uh, so now, uh, what's the story going to be? Um, so uh, it's, uh, the Rav uh, did his research and he came to the conclusion that both of this um, man and woman who had been previously married, the first marriage, um, after they separated from each other, there was an assumption that everybody had that she was a grusha. An assumption everybody had that she had received a valid, um, a valid get. And number two, it was also uh, established um, that uh, the uh, kiddushin um, that the, of the first marriage was of only performed by a reverend. A reverend who was a conservative reverend, and uh, the Adim who signed on the Ksuva um, uh, were uh, still uh, alive, and they were able to research the Adim, and they determined that the Adim were Machali Shabbos and not Shomim Mitzvot. So the ones who, were, they, we don't know if they were the Adim who stood under the Chuppah, but they were the Adim who signed the Ksuva, and in many cases, especially in the olden days, it would be the same witnesses. The witnesses nowadays, you try to be Machabi lots of people. So you have one set of Adik Ksuva, another set of Adik Kedushan, but uh, it's a, a reasonable inference to assume that the Adik Kedushan were either no different or no better uh, than the Adik Yaksuva in this case. So Rav Schwartz quotes, and this is the most important part of the Tshuva, because the part that says that we can assume since the person who performed the wedding was a conservative reverend, so maybe there's an assumption, especially since they did their research and saw that the Adim were not Adim Kesherim, uh, that uh, the wedding was not a kosher wedding in the first place, maybe the first, meaning the first, uh, the first wedding. But he says, in addition to that, we have a very important shuva of the Radvaz. What does the Radvaz say? The Radvaz says that um, whenever a person is a cheskas grusha, if you have a woman, and there was an assumption that the entire town had, that everybody had, that the woman was a grusha, but now she lost her tudas gerishin. She can't find a tudas gerishin. We always tell people, put it in a safe place. But nowadays, everything is computerized. We digitalize and computerize everything, so it's hard to lose things. Nowadays, you put it on a hard drive, you have a backup, you know, but it used to be years ago, you could lose important papers and you wouldn't be able to find them afterwards. It wasn't so easy uh, to get a hold of uh, your uh, important papers once they were misplaced. We still have People come to me, they lost their tzuba, they need a tzuba there, so it happens uh, more often than you would imagine. Um, uh, so, uh, so he says, the Rabbaz points out that if I have a situation where a person can't uh, find that their tzuba's gerashin, uh, there is an assumption, this is on page 7, the tzuba of the Rabbaz, um, that the only reason we give a person a tzuba's gerashin in the first place is if the woman wants to go and uh, to a place where they don't know, there isn't already a chazaka, it's not known that she was a grusha, or where she wants to get married before the chazaka takes hold. But he says, if I have a chazaka, which means a chazaka is different from a rumor in three different ways. Number one, he says, a chazaka is holeichom is chazik. 
as time goes on, there's more and more of an impression and a presumption in people's minds that a person has a certain status. That in other words, it doesn't go away after, like a rumor goes away after a couple of days, a couple of weeks or whatever. But this just gets stronger and stronger that people know, oh yeah, this is kind of the Grusha. You know, like I remember that in my great aunt's neighborhood, so there was, my great aunt was a widow for many years and lived in B'nai Brak, and there was a nice woman in the neighborhood. She was a Choshiba woman in the neighborhood and she would come and visit my, my great aunt. My great aunt would say, oh, it's kind of Hagiaris, you know. So people have, you know, a, a certain appellation. They have, they're, they're known a, a certain way. So, so, so she's known as the Grusha. The second thing is Beli Iror, that there's nobody who casts aspersions on this particular Chazaka. The Chazaka, the presumption, gets stronger and stronger, and nobody casts aspersions on it. And number three, it lasts for a really long time. That this has been the presumption for all. So he says, the Rabbah says, if you have all three of those in, uh, in place, you don't need any paperwork. And he says that if not, if you're going to say a person's always going to need paperwork, Imata Omer Shalot is the pit line, Imata Omer Shalotoel Chazaka Legushali Nase, Bohinachta Basla Abma Vinu Migoreshes. You're not going to find any women left who have grushas who will be able to get married because everybody's going to lose their paperwork at a certain point in time. We know, we have a nice organized system. People lose their paperwork, they call up the bezel, we give them another copy of their tuta, but it wasn't always that way. And even some of the Rabbanim who would go out to far-flung places in America to do gitzin, they would give people a certificate, but they wouldn't uh, keep a copy of the certificate uh, necessarily, um, so because uh, nobody would be able to get married. The um, Apisadi, you say, let's ask the Adem, Avitin the Maisi, Adem die, or they go to another country, Viaya de Get, or Maisi Besden, Avitin Mirkus, and you'll say you rely upon looking at the original Get, or the or the two Desgarish, and people lose it. So therefore, he says that that alone would be reason to be Mako. I know that Rav Schwartz was very fond of that particular um, Shita, and he would employ it uh, in other contexts uh, as well. What um, qualifies someone to be a reverend? Uh, it used to be. A, they used to have Molim, what are called reverend. So many reverends. Uh, why you had lots of reverends? You had a lot of rabbis. Uh, they would they would go to why you and they wouldn't finish their bechinos. They wouldn't finish their bechinos, so they would be reverends. You know, or somebody who uh, served in a rabbinic capacity but never got smicha for whatever reason they never got smicha. So they would go by the term. They would go by the term reverend. Okay, we have uh, a good uh, three minutes left. So in um, in Simon uh, Simon Zion. Um, uh, Rav Schwartz wrote this as one of the later chubas in the collection. And the later chubas in the collection will just get started. Um, and we'll stop before the time is over. A very, very important contemporary halakha question. Very important halakha question. What happens, and nowadays you have in vitro fertilization, and you have uh, the genetic material, the egg, which is uh, donated from uh, another woman, and the uh, and the, only the the egg carrier uh, is Jewish, but the genetic mother is not Jewish. Uh, the father, the one who donated the the, the sperm uh, that was used to fertilize the egg, that was then placed in uh, the womb of uh, the uh, gestational uh, carrier, who is Jewish, who is his wife. So the Balzeri, he's a Kohen. So I have a couple of Shilohs. Number one is the child Jewish. Number two, if the child is Jewish, is the child a Kohen? One thing I can tell you is that if the child is not Jewish, the child is definitely not a Kohen. <laughs> that much is clear. But that's, that's the Shiloh that Schwartz was dealing with. That you should be aware that when it comes, that this is a Shiloh that comes up mamish all the time uh, nowadays because now that we have uh, the uh, assisted reproductive uh, technologies, 
um, the, the, the fewer and fewer infertile couples, you know, thank God, with the help of these technologies, more couples are able to have children, not all of them, but more couples are able to have children, but uh, sometimes it's necessary to have children uh, by using um, the egg from another woman or having uh, the a surrogate mother who's going to carry the child, and the egg donor is actually the wife herself. One Shiloh that uh, presented itself um, that uh, I discussed with, with with Rabbi Schwartz is the Shiloh of uh, what happens when you have a, a couple that wants to have children and uh, the wife is neither able to carry the child nor to be a genetic uh, mother. Uh, so can you just have the father donate his, his sperm, his zera, and have a, a different woman uh, donate an egg and then you'll have a, yet a third woman carry the child and uh, now the man and his wife are going to raise uh, the child together. So we had a Shiloh like that to where um, I, I asked Rabbi Schwartz, was, his opinion was he wasn't so much in favor of that. It's more in favor if at least the, the wife will uh, be able to be one of the two mothers, whichever one is to consider to be the halakhic mother, but otherwise you're just bringing in like a, a foreign child that, 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 that the husband is going to be the father, but it's almost as if he's bringing in competition, that he's uh, like another woman into the house, like a tzara. Um, so, he wasn't so he wasn't so excited about that. I asked Dr. Avraham Steinberg, uh, what he thought about that, and he said Rishlomo Zaman Orbach wasn't in favor of that either. And I asked Rabbi Willig at the time what he thought of it, and Rabbi Willig also was not in favor of it, so we, we did not uh, encourage it. Um, uh, but here, this is a situation where the wife presumably is going to be the gestational carrier, what's going to be the status of uh, the child. And we'll see that there are proofs in all kinds of different directions, and we'll see exactly how Rabbi Schwartz navigated the Shiloh, very important Allah Lamaisa, and we'll continue with this, not next week, but uh, two weeks from today. Right when the young five lost, they lost the case. Oh, they lost the case, okay. Oh. <laughs> so no kept quiet. Okay.